Thankful for all the kind comments this morning. Sometimes when you step on toes, some people get upset, but uh, I hope you always take it in how it's intended. It's just to motivate and help us to, us, like I said, I needed this morning's lesson as much as anybody here. All right, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I talked about this two weeks ago, the last time I was here on Sunday, and uh, we got into it, but I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied because I wanted to go a little bit deeper. I wanted us to, to maybe grasp just a little bit more of what Paul is telling Timothy. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to review quickly and then we're going to go deeper. We're going to hopefully get a little bit, like I said, better understanding. First Timothy 1 verse 8, Paul told Timothy that the law is good if we use it lawfully. And he's not just talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Bible, in essence, is the New Testament a law? Some people, some people don't think so, but is it a law? It's the law of faith, the Bible describes it. It's the law of grace, the Bible describes it. it. It's a law just like the Old Testament's a law. Well, what about this? Does the New Testament, does it hold us to a higher standard than the Old Testament? Be careful how you answer that. Think about it a minute. You know, sometimes people say, well, the Old Testament, that was... Man, they just set laws and nobody could keep. And what about the New Testament? Does it elevate the standard even higher? It does. Think about it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, you don't do this. But he says, I'm going to elevate that. He says, you know, like in the Old Testament, you don't commit adultery. But in the New Testament, it says, you don't even commit adultery up here. Back in the Old Testament, you don't do the physical act. New Testament you don't do it up here. In the Old Testament, you don't steal. You're commanded not to steal. Well, they bring it up a notch in the New Testament in, in Colossians chapter 3. He says, you don't steal, but instead you work with your hands and you work hard so you've got, have, so you've got things that you can even give to other people. You see, he brought it up another notch. In the Old Testament, you know, you couldn't like hurt your brother and you couldn't do all of these things to cause the injury to your, to your brother. When in the New Testament, the Bible says you can't even be angry with him. That brings it up a notch. It holds us to a higher accountability. But I want us to grasp the fact that the law is good if we use it right. You realize the Bible is only good to us if we use it correctly. We've not got there yet, but Paul's going to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study, to show thyself, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, you make sure you use your Bible correctly. The law is good if a man use it lawfully. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to attempt to use it lawfully and we're going to use the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you that everything in that Old Testament is pointing us in what we need to do to be a New Testament Christian. That's what it's all about. It's getting us to see the bigger picture. It's getting us to, to have a grasp on, on what is what. I want us to see. Paul's going to tell Timothy something here in just a moment that's going to be, and I mentioned this at the very end of class, but I didn't get to go into it. He's going to talk about the Ten Commandments. You say, no, he does not. Yes, he does. 
That's exactly what he talks about. The Ten Commandments. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. And we could go on. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember those Ten Commandments as you go down through there. But here's what I want us to see. If we go and we look within what Paul is telling Timothy, he is referring back to the Ten Commandments and he is letting us see those things were given for a reason. And those things are leading you or should lead you to what you need to know even today. Do we live under the Ten Commandments because Moses gave them in Exodus chapter 20? No. That's not why we are uh, obligated to keep these things today. We're obligated to keep them today for the very reason that Paul just told Timothy the exact same thing. We're not obligated to keep anything because the Old Testament said it. We're obligated to keep it because the New Testament repeats it. And we need to understand that. We need to understand these things that, that God was putting in here to get us to see what we need to see even today. No other gods before me. Now last week I went over this, and I went over these words that Paul is going to use uh, here to Timothy. First two things he says is the lawless and insubordinate. And that relates exactly to thou shalt have no other gods before me. Lawless means someone that lives outside the law, someone that is a law to themselves, or in other words, they are their own God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you are a lawless individual, who's coming before God? You've made yourself a God, right? You've made yourself a God. A person who's insubordinate is not under subjection. They do their own thing. They are stiff-necked. In other words, they are a God in, unto themselves. So the first commandment and exactly what Paul is telling Timothy, they mean the same thing. No graven images. No graven images. Don't, don't be idolatrous. What about ungodly and sinning? A person who is ungodly has no reverence for God. They don't respect God. In fact, they defy God. And a sinner, this word means one who lives in conscience, opposition to God's will, someone who has no morality, someone that, that is making something else into their God. They have no respect for God. They don't reverence God. They don't look to God. So therefore, they will form and mold their own God. They're not interested in what He has to offer. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The word unholy means that religion or God is repulsive. Repulsive. These are people that would like to remove God from anything and everything. Profane means you trample on things that are holy and you belittle religion or God. Would that not be verbatim what a person is that takes, God name, takes God's name in vain? Someone that tramples on things that are holy. Somebody that, that thinks things that are holy are repulsive. And in fact, the word God, the name God is repulsive to this person, and they want nothing to do with it. So it's someone that would take God's name in vain. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That commandment is not repeated as far as for us to keep the actual Sabbath day, but I want us to, to learn something from it. Why did God want the people to keep the Sabbath day? Because He had deemed it holy, right? On the sixth day, God rested, and He deemed that day holy. He doesn't do that anymore, does He? 
But does he deem a day? Does he set aside a day for us to worship? Now listen, I'm not saying Sunday's the Christian Sabbath. I'm not teaching that at all. But I'm teaching uh, something that we need to, to get in our lives. When God deems something as to be that something that we need to do. And on Sunday, he deems that that's the day that we need to worship. When we deem that to be unholy and profane, like a lot of people do, aren't we in essence doing the same thing that he told them not to do with the Sabbath? In essence, we are. It's a lesson for us. You go on and he says you've got to honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment. It's the commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou may live long on the earth. What's the next thing on Paul's list to Timothy? Murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. You see how it fits? God says, I, I want you to honor them. I want you to honor them. You never will honor your parents by, by killing them, will you? Either with your attitude or the actual literally. You see, it goes hand in hand. He says, thou shalt not kill. The next thing on the list right here in 1 Timothy is a manslayer. A manslayer. What is a manslayer? Somebody that murders. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. What's the next thing in the list in 1 Timothy? Well, he says, fornicators and sodomites. You don't commit adultery. You don't commit uh, sexual uh, things that are wrong. Impurities and immoralities. None of those things. A fornicator is someone that is uh, having sex outside of marriage. A sodomite is someone who is a homosexual. The Ten Commandments says you don't do that. You don't commit sexual immorality. Paul said the same thing to Timothy. He says you shall not steal. The next thing on the list in 1 Timothy is a kidnapper. What's a kidnapper do? They're stealing something that's not theirs, right? And maybe these people, you know, putting somebody into slave labor, whatever it is. But you don't do that. He says you shall not bear false witness. Next thing Paul tells Timothy is liars and perjurers. That's who the law is made for, perjurers. Someone that's going to bear false witness. You see how it fits hand in hand? Number 10, the last commandment, thou shalt not covet. Paul just summed it up and he says, any other thing contrary to sound doctrine, he says you don't do it. Don't do it. And that was the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And we need to understand that. But let's dig a little deeper. Let's, let's understand just a few more things that, that the law is useful if we use it lawfully. It's exactly what we need if we use it in the right way. Don't you notice these first four? These were relationships between man and God. Vertical commandments. And the others are horizontal commandments. Relationships with each other. We need to get that. We need to understand that our relationship with God is talked about. Then our relationship with man is talked about. What's the first and second greatest commandment? Number one is you love God. Number two is what? You love man. You love your neighbor. All of these things are all tied together. All of the 613 laws in the Old Testament had a very specific purpose to bring us to Christ. And we're going to go through each one of them. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Y'all throw me out. We're not going to do that. But here, I, I want us to grasp something. All of those laws, 613 of them, were put in place. And the Bible describes it as a yoke. And I mentioned this the last time. As a yoke put upon the neck of the people that nobody could bear. It was more 
it was more than they can stand. It was more than they can do. And, and you say, yeah, but you said the New Testament is a higher standard. Yes, but the New Testament is the law of grace. For God understands there's no way we're going to keep it perfectly, but yet under the Old Testament, they were expected to keep it perfectly. They were, and it was given to show the more rules you have, the more what? more rules you're going to break. If you make one rule for your children at home, odds are they're not going to get in trouble as much, right? But if you made 613 rules, what happens? They're in trouble all the time, right? That was God's purpose. He's going to show the people, you can't do this yourself. There is absolutely no way you can do this. And he says, I'm going to show you how hard it's going to be. I'm going to show you what the price of sin is. Leviticus 17 verse 11, the Bible says that the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So what God tells us is that innocent life has to be given in order for remission to be possible. For it to even be possible. Here's what I want to do. I want us to go to the book of Leviticus, if you would, with me. And you say Leviticus is a, sometimes we call it a very boring book, right? We say, man, there's just those laws and all those offerings and all those, they repeat it over and over and over. And sometimes we just skim over it and we don't really grasp the fact that there's things in there that's going to help us to better appreciate what we have even today. After reading Leviticus 4 and 5 and Leviticus 20, I appreciate so much more what I have today. And I think you will too. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want us to, to, to get an idea. I want us to understand. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the price of sin. And we said, life is in the blood. And we said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Here is the cost, the high cost, the price of sin. He says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, speak to the children of Israel, saying, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to talk to Israel and I want you to tell them this very thing. What's the thing? If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them. Now let's stop just a second. If I ask you to show your hands, how many of you sin unintentionally pretty regularly. Everybody better hold their hand up. You do, don't you? Does anybody, I mean, we don't just walk around and just say, man, I just want to do this just because God said not to, right? No. But we sin unintentionally on a regular basis, right? You know, we, to him that knoweth to do good, we talked about that this morning. We know to do good. How many times do we see an opportunity to do good and we just Pass it on by. We do that all the time. And if you say you don't, then you're lying, and that's another sin. So either way, you're sinning unintentionally. But here's the point. Everybody does this. Moses told the people, if you sin unintentionally against any of the commandments, how many were there? 613, right? Here's what you've got to do. Think about it. You are living, you are an Israelite, you are in the camp of Israel you commit an unintentional sin and it is brought to your attention. What do you got to do about it? Well, keep going. Verse 3, If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, 
Then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Now think about that. If you sin intentionally, it's brought to your attention, you find out about it, what do you got to do? You got to bring a young bull from your herd, and it's got to be presented as a sin offering. Now let me ask you something. How many of your herds are going to dwindle real fast? Be honest. You got a hundred head of cattle, right? We're going to be out of cattle in six months, aren't we? I mean, seriously. I, I want us to get it. I mean, we kind of laugh about it. And, and, but do we get what God's trying to paint here for us? Here's the high cost of sin. But let's take this even farther. Moses is not finished here. He goes on and he says, here's what you do with that calf. He says, verse 8, You'll take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the, the guts of the inside, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. Here's what you do. You take the blood and you take all the parts that nobody wants. Right? But we don't keep the guts and all that, do we? We don't keep the blood. And, but you take the parts that nobody wants and you offer them as a sin offering. You say, okay, this is not that bad. Because what's left? What's left is the hide. Is the hide very useful and valuable? Yeah. What's left? You say the meat. Okay, I commit a sin. I go offer the bull and, and then I can eat good for a while at least. Right? God, in His infinite wisdom, He's teaching the people, and in essence, teaching us. It's going to cost you more than that. Keep reading. He says, it's verse 11, But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head and legs, its entrails and, and offals, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So not only does God say, when you sin unintentionally, you bring this sacrifice, and you spill the blood, He says, you take the most important part. The only parts of it that, that's really good for, for commercial merchandise, and you take them outside the camp, you burn them. You don't get to use so in essence, when, when the people sinned, they just wasted. In essence, they wasted a young bull. And did, what did they get out of it? Did they get forgiveness? No. They just got it pushed back a little, didn't they? Push it back a little. Do we see the high cost of sin? Do you see the picture God's trying to paint to get us to going towards Jesus? That's what He's trying to do is get us to look towards Jesus, to see what His sacrifice was about. I'm not finished. Go to verse 13. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, down verse 14, well they shall offer a young bull for the sin. If the whole bunch gathers together and they're all murmuring and complaining, well we've got to offer more. Go on down to verse 22. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally, and skip down to verse 23. He shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male 
without blemish. Go on to verse 27. If any one of the common people, this is just your, your common poor people, poor people that don't have very much at all, if they sin unintentionally, well then, verse 28, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin, which he has committed. Go down to verse 32. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Why do you think God was forcing them to bring females? If you're a, a poor farmer and you don't have much, what is more important to you? A bull or a heifer? You want a heifer, right? Why? You're going to be able to have more. God says, it's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you more. It's going to get your attention. What I'm trying to do, get your attention. You go on down to, to chapter 5, the trespass offering. He talks about again the same thing, verse 6. You bring a trespass offering. It's a female from the flock, a lamb. Verse 7, if you're not able to bring a lamb, maybe you're so poor that you don't even have a lamb. You don't even have a lamb. He says, well then you bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering and one is a burnt offering. He said, well maybe it's even worse than that. Go on down to uh, verse 13. Excuse me, verse 11. Maybe you're not able even to bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. Maybe you are just absolutely flat broken. You're just trying to get by until the next day. He says, well, he says, then he who has sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour. You just picture that. You have absolutely nothing. And you remember the... The widow that, that fed Elijah that time, what did she have? She had just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, enough to make a couple of cakes, and she said, then we're going to die. You got people in that situation, and God says, if you sin unintentionally, you, you got to give it to me. You say, that is harsh. No. It's God trying to get his point across. Sin has a high cost. Sin always has a high cost. I want you to notice something. Everything we read up until this point says if a man sins unintentionally, unintentionally, over and over and over again, let me ask you something. Do you ever sin intentionally? Some of you say, oh, I never do that. You probably do. You probably in your life, you've done things that you knew good and well not to do, but you did them anyways. Maybe you were angry, upset. Whatever it may be, you did it anyways. And I do the same. No better. No, we shouldn't do it while we're doing it, but what do we do? Go right ahead. What about those people? What about those people that, that committed these sins and, and they knew better and they knew what they were doing? Well, God's got something for them too. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't near as kind as it is today. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. The first five verses, he says, anybody that gives his descendants to Molech. And I'll explain this to you. Anybody that killed their children, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. God says, I'm going to cut you off. God, God is not taking... These people were going to die. What do you think God would do with this country today? If he feels this strongly about killing children. We're in trouble, right? Is that an intentional sin? Abortion? Yeah. You, you gotta, 
It's not something just one day, whoops, I accidentally got one. That doesn't how it happens. That's not what it's about. You go on and he says, uh, verse 6 through verse 8, people that, that turn to familiar spirits and mediums and, and going to all these uh, witches, if you will. He says, yeah, you can't do that. You're going to die. Verse 9, everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now think about that. I know the children aren't in here, but maybe you need to read this to them, right? If you don't listen to mom and daddy and you disobey, God says, you deserve to be put to death. And that's what's going to happen. You think people before long started getting the, the point that there's a high cost of sin? I, I think so. You can go on down and it says, verse 18, or verse 10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, what happens? Reading at the end of verse 10, they both shall be put to death. You see, God is trying to get people to see, man, there's a high cost of sin. And when you think back this morning in, in the lesson, I said, maybe you need to study the depths of God's love. Maybe you need to really get in deeper in all of these high costs of sin and understand, understand how much sin actually does cost. And understand that it cost enough that Jesus Christ had to leave heaven to become flesh and endure everything that He went through in order for you and I to enjoy forgiveness. And sometimes we don't even appreciate it enough to be motivated to want to serve Him. Do you understand the cost of all of this from the Old Testament? What if God had left this in place? That every time you and I do something wrong, there's a cost. We would be in, in deep, deep trouble, right? Deep, deep trouble. And there was no end to it. The Mosaic Law was put in place for 1,500 years. 1,500 years. These people are killing innocent animals. And they're throwing all the meat and the hide away. So you say, all of that was for naught. Well, they got their sins rolled back for a little while. It made peace with God for a little while. But the writer of Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats, it can never take away sin. But the blood of Jesus can and does. So you see, if we will take the law and we will use it lawfully, oh, brethren, we learn so, so much. I wish I had more time. We learn from the Bible that obedience is better than sacrifice to God. Read 1 Samuel 15 sometime and carry that over into the New Testament. God doesn't want what you think is right and what I think is right. God wants what He wants. And Samuel told King Saul to obey is, the, is better than sacrifice. And you've got to get that point. All of these things, the consequences of sin are taught over and over and over. And again, that would go hand in hand with the high cost of sin. It's taught from the beginning to the end of the New Testament, Old Testament, and even into the New Testament. King David committed a sin and God said the sword will never depart from your house and look what he lost. Look at all his children that died. Sin has a high cost. We need to understand that. I want to get verse 11 back in 1 Timothy uh, before we leave if you don't mind. Because verse 12 starts a new thought. So go back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, The law is good if we use it lawfully. The law was made not for a righteous person, but for all of those uh, sinful conditions that we talked about. 
He says, and any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means healthy. Healthy. If you are of a sound mind, you're healthy, right? Your mind is healthy and strong and, and what it should be. He says, these things are according to the glorious gospel. So again, those things that we just talked about that were verbatim, the Ten Commandments, he says these things are also wrong in the glorious gospel. The gospel is glorious because it sheds light. That's what the word means. The gospel sheds light in a dark, dark world. We as Christians, we're to be the light bearers of the gospel. We're to bring the light to a dark, dark world. He goes on to say, the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Do you realize the gospel is what makes a man healthy spiritually? That's what he's telling us. We've got to not do anything that's contrary to sound doctrine, but we are to live by the glorious gospel. So in other words, we want to be a healthy Christian. We live by the gospel. Do you realize the gospel and the law are not enemies? Again, I put that down and I put a star beside it. I want us to get that. I want us to get it. all those things that we read about throughout all the Old Testament. They're simply pointing us in a direction and teaching us things that we've got to understand in order to be the Christians that we are today. I want us to see that Paul said the gospel was committed to my trust. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he said, I am an ambassador for Christ. I am an authorized representative for Christ. Now, you and I, we're not like Paul in the fact that we are authorized. We've not been made an apostle by Jesus Christ, but we are still representatives of Him, right? When you became a New Testament Christian, you are representative of Him. And in essence, when you did that, the gospel was committed to you. To you. To pass along to someone else. I hope we understand that. I hope we take that serious. I know our time is up. I appreciate your attention this morning. Next week, we will pick up in verse 12. Thank you.